This talk was given by Ronald Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and is co-director of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation, please visit our website at zmm.mro.org donate. Thanks for your support. So first, thank you for being here tonight. <laughs> uh, I deeply appreciate it. And uh, it helps me, it helps you, and it helps many other beings, and it helps my microphone as well. <laughs> so clearly we're on the cusp of entering the new year. And um, as you may have heard, if you were here this morning, this can be an auspicious time, an auspicious moment. And I spoke to that this morning during the talk. A time to begin anew. <clears throat> a time to appreciate the freshness of this moment and the unlimited potential to transform our lives. Not in some big, enormous, um, kind of fundamental change, but in a subtle shift towards realizing our wholeness, our humanness, and our inherent goodness. And that's how practice works. I mean, uh, perhaps you've read about how in Zen and in cross-spiritual practices, there can be moments of complete transformation. And that can happen. But for the most part, what spiritual practice and Zen practice consists of is invisible moment-to-moment shifts, which may culminate in a more obvious and conscious shift but would never have happened without those moment-to-moment, usually shifts that we're not aware of, and yet something is moving within us. And so for each of us this evening, something is shifting in being here tonight and participating in this, in, in this offering. And we may or may not have any awareness of that. It's just how it works. <clears throat> So we can take this evening up as a time of reflection, a time to consider how we've lived and what we've experienced during this past year and years, um, as well as looking forward to how we might vow to live in the months and years to come. And so this can be, and I hope it is, a time to pause, to stop within, within the context of our life and ask some questions of ourself. Is this life I am living the life I want for myself? And, you know, we can ask that question any place along the line, the timeline of our life, <clears throat> but it's not enough to ask that question. We have to dive into the question. We have to really close the space between asking the question and our own heart so that there's a degree of depth to our honesty. Earlier during the Fusatsu, a few moments ago, we together and individually acknowledged our deeds, our karma of the past year, our actions, our thoughts, our words, which are evil, when can be evil, among other possibilities. And evil in Buddhism is, 
is, is the first pure precept, the, the, the basis of the morality of what Buddhism rests on, of what awakening rests on. And evil in its deepest sense is when we, in some way, refrain from within ourselves or for others, helping them realize their complete humanness. Now, you can use other words for this, uh, but prevent them, if I didn't say that clearly, from realizing their complete humanness. You can express this as prevent them from awakening, and you can express it in many other ways. And I don't think we have to go deep within us to understand this, that in the most subtle of ways, when we cut somebody out with a glance or a thought, that is evil. We are limiting them, and we are limiting ourselves. And in the same vein, practicing good and practicing good for others is helping ourselves and others awaken, helping ourselves and others become more fully human. However you understand this, whether you're Buddhist or not, whether you're you know, an in-depth practitioner or this is the first time you've stepped into a Buddhist temple, it's irrelevant. So what is important in your life? The question that I think is worth asking is, can I live my life in a way that is kinder? And I mean kinder in, in the deepest and most profound sense, not in the superficial emotional sense. More compassionate and more intimate with the beings I share this world with. From a Buddhist perspective, we understand and we practice and we do our best to realize that the absolute nature of all things, human and non-human, sentient and insentient, is without any fixed characteristic, any permanent characteristic. Just stay with that a moment. It's as simple as, can you think of anything about yourself or anything else that does not change? That is not change itself, empty of any fixed characteristic. And yet, given that we have human consciousness, because we think, because we have intention, because we make decisions, and we, because we perceive good and bad, we perceive pain and pleasure, that everything we do, given all of this, everything we do has an effect on how we understand ourselves and others and how we perceive all of these things, intention, decisions, good and bad, pain, pleasure. It can be easy to underestimate how powerful you are. As an individual, how powerful and how much power there is within your life to affect change within yourself and change within others. We hold up you know, these deeply spiritual figures or these deeply evil figures, perhaps, as an example of extraordinary people who have the ability to affect large change. 
and we're just ordinary people. I remember Daito Roshi saying to me and to others, do you understand, do you clearly understand there are no extraordinary people? All of us are individual people. And all of us at the same time have, possess, and can live out of our fundamental nature, our Buddha nature, our heart of compassion. We all can do that. And that is why we take refuge in Buddha, which we just did. We take refuge in Dharma. We take refuge in the perfection of our being and all beings. In the Sangha, actually, we didn't do that yet, did we? That comes later. Sorry, it's about to come. But it's why it's part of this ceremony. And we take refuge in Sangha, you and I together, practicing. And this, is an, this in effect, is a challenge. How will we use the power of being alive? How will we use our body and minds? When our fixation and our energy is simply about ourself, our life becomes an exploration of the fundamental anxiety of our trying to control what is completely uncontrollable. For example, your own mind. We can't control our own mind. It's a good starting place to consider. And if you've done any significant amount of zazen, you come to that conclusion pretty quickly. We, we can't even count to ten, concentrating on our breath, without sustained and a fairly long period of, of ongoing practice. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that impressive, how deeply deluded we are? <laughs> how caught up in the greediness of ourself? in the passions and anger and desires of ourself. And underlying that is the fundamental ignorance of ourself. I'm not talking about stupidity here. I'm talking about ignorance of the way things are. There is no fixed reality. That's the good news. That means that any action you take for the good of yourself and all beings will transmit to all beings. It will. That's the, the effect of karma. It's an immutable law. Now, that doesn't mean we control the effects of our actions and thoughts. We don't. But the karma will result. You may or may not be given to know that. But it will result appropriate. And it's not a punishment. It's not a reward. It's just the natural law of the universe. That there's a cause and effect to anything that exists And your thoughts, actions, and deeds control that cause and effect. Control may not be the best word, but affect that cause and effect. And not all of our karma is our individual karma. Perhaps many of us in this room would not be supportive of certain politicians or certain actions or other beings. And that, yet that karma of being in relationship with them affects us and affects our lives. So those, those, there's other aspects of karma. 
way beyond our control. But what we do have control of is ourself, our actions, our deeds, our words. And we don't have control over our thoughts, but we can sure study them. And when we study them, we find there is no fixed reality to our thoughts. They're empty of any inherent being. And it's good news because the other side of emptiness is fullness. The other side of emptiness is that you and I and all beings are one whole being. Nobody is left out. One whole being. Easy words to say. But to live out of that is the practice of many lifetimes. So we better get right to work if that's what we want. So moving towards this way of understanding and living a life is not easy. We know Zazen is essential to this. We know this. We know that if you sit regularly, your life will change. We know this. And if you don't know it, try it. Not just today. But try it for a few months and see if your life does not change. We know that samadhi, that wisdom and morality in our actions and words and thoughts opens our heart and minds. And it opens it to all beings. Yet brings home our own personal responsibility for our life. We know that practicing using Zazen as our base, using these moral and ethical teachings that Buddhism offers, brings forth our heart of compassion. We give ourselves permission to manifest what has always been there, that compassion. But so often we're blind to because of our ignorance. Now, ignorance often in the English language is a loaded word. It should be loaded because it's the cause of so much suffering. Ignorance of the way of reality. Ignorance of your own fundamental nature. Ignorance of your own heart of compassion. But we don't have to be ignorant. One way to start not being ignorant is by consciously considering a vow or vows for the new year. And so later on, not too much later, in a few minutes, we'll consider what vow we might want to make for this coming year, for this coming minute. We'll write that down on a piece of paper. We'll offer it, incense it to all beings, And then using fire will allow our vow to burn and in burning, share our vow with all beings. Asking for support from all the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, both in this room and countless other Bodhisattvas throughout this world. So please be conscientious and thoughtful and care. Take care in that. These vows support a disciplined and compassionate life 
dedicated to our own understanding, our own insight, our own practice, our own interbeing, interbeing with all the beings. We may think this applies to us or has little relevance to who we are and how we live our life. But do you really know that? Do you really know how much relevance a vow has when taken up seriously with intent? I don't think we do know. And that's the power of vow. I think it's important not to know. What's important is to look inward and see what vow is the vow that you need to make in your life for these coming days and months. That's what's important. I don't think we could know how we're going to be affected by our vow. I don't think we can know the ways that our loving heart deeply wants to love and be loved and how we wish to to leave a life of self-protection behind and to begin to live a life of opening our heart, of kindness, a deep, profound kindness. And how do you begin? Begin at any place. Begin in the smallest possible way. You know, that's how you climb a mountain. You look, you have this steep mountain in front of you. That mountain can represent a transformation of your life into the life of truly living out of your Buddha nature. And yet there's no apparent way to get from here to the top of the mountain. So you know what a professional mountain climber does? I speak as someone from Colorado who's climbed one or two mountains in his life. And I'm not saying that, oh, I've climbed 100. I've actually climbed one or two. (laughs) You look for the tiniest crack. And you you study. And first you see nothing except the mountain. And then you look and you look. And then you see something. It's so small. And you put your finger in that crack. And you look again, and you put your foot on this ledge. And you look again, and you put your finger here, and your, your, your leg here, and you climb the mountain. And if it's a technical climb, you put a bolt in, and you strap yourself to it. So that when you fall, because if you climb, you will fall, you're safe. The interesting thing about climbing the mountain of waking up is you are so completely safe that if the intent, the vow, and the heart of it is there, you cannot fail. That's called bodhicitta, the desire, the deep, disconnected desire to awaken. You cannot fail. Now, if you attach some measurement to that, that is the failure. But if you let go of that and just give your heart to climbing the mountain, that's how the mountain gets climbed. That's how your heart opens. That's how your life changes. And we're never given to know each moment of that change. It's like watching grass grow. You know, when did the grass grow? You never see the grass growing. 
but it started as barely visible in the early spring, and by summer it's six inches tall. How did that happen? How did your heart open? So here's the invitation tonight. Here's the invitation to take up vow, to consider it carefully, to not look at it from a place of success or failure, because that, that isn't how vow works. Vow includes a willingness to fail, an acknowledgement that we have perhaps not acted in accord with our vow, and in acknowledging it, we repent for it. Repent for it consciously, and we turn that energy of repentance to the connected sense that this is how transformation occurs. That's why the first thing we do here in, in Fusatsu is we acknowledge our failures where we have not helped ourselves and others. That's called being a human being. Another name for being a true human being, you, is being a Buddha. And this is called living a true life, true to our essential nature. Our essential nature is our humanness. It looks at failure, and it looks at success, and it doesn't hold them out as, some, as a measurement, as a place to stay or desire to attach to. What a true human life looks at is simply the heart of kindness and doing the best we can to do that as a human being. And each time with open awareness, when we become aware, with a willingness to let go of our habitual stuff that hurts so much, that is so self-centered and so self-reflective that we can't even see it, Ourself and thus Sangha to help us see it. This is a whole of mirrors in which each of us is reflected back and as we interact with each other, with a kind and loving heart, we see each other. You cannot wake up by yourself. Yes, you can have a Kensho by yourself, but even that requires all beings conspiring to help you. Shantideva, a Buddhist saint, if you will, said, may I be a protector to those without protection, a leader for those who journey, and a boat, a bridge, a passage for those desiring the further shore. May the the pain of every living creature be completely cleared away. May I be the doctor and the medicine. May I be the nurse for all sick beings in the world until everyone is healed. Vows are not intended to be easy. They serve to remind us that the way of the Buddha is a way of action, a way of doing. It's not a belief system. 
It's not important whether you believe in it or not. What's important is what you do. You don't need to get ready to take a vow. You don't need to get ready to take an action. You take the action. You make the vow. When we vow to save all beings, even though I know it's essentially impossible, what I'm doing is expressing resolve. A resolve that has no boundary, that doesn't rest in impossible or possible. It's irrelevant. It's the vow. It's my vow. Perhaps it's your vow. So we will make our vows together tonight. We will offer them. I will offer them, as Yukon said this morning, to the God of fire, which is your heart. And when the evening's over, we'll go out into the world. And I hope that the vows you make will enrich you will make you the richest possible person that could be. And offer you the richest possible life. Thanks so much for listening. The Monastery's quarterly journal, Mountain Record, has a new home at mountainrecord.org. For over 30 years, Mountain Record has been offering spiritual seekers of all faiths a unique journey through words and images. Each quarterly issue delivers a thought-provoking array of classic teachings, contemporary wisdom, stunning photographs, and news from the Mountains and Rivers Order. For more information, to subscribe, or to read our open-access articles, visit mountainrecord.org.